you have to admit that you love drugs more than you love your kids. Today we are joined by Ryan Decker of Wasatch Recovery, who shares his story about flipping the script. Having the same drive and determination for recovery as he did in his addiction, he talks about the tricky balance of setting boundaries, both with patients and with family members, staying active and engaged, and the turnaround story of a relative from a future of prison and homelessness to having the freedom to write his own story. Never give up and always strive to be better. You can always be a better person of yourself. Enjoy. Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Nider. I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. All right, we are here today with Ryan Decker, and Ryan works at Wasatch Recovery. Ryan is a good friend of mine, and I'm so excited to be with him today. Ryan, um, maybe just introduce yourself for a second. Okay. Um, my name is Ryan Decker. Uh, I work at Wasatch Recovery. Been in recovery for a little over six years, and I've kind of worked in the industry for five. So I've kind of uh, worked a few different places, and then actually came back home to Wasatch where I actually went through treatment six years ago. So you've got, you're on your own recovery path? Yep. How often do you share that story? I just did, about an hour ago to, to the group. So uh, I'm pretty passionate about recovery and, and really, uh, I mean, with everything going on in the world today, you know, it's, it's uh, addictions through the roof. Like people are dying right and left and, you know, with the boredom and isolation are what uh, kill us and the world's kind of telling us to do that. So it's made my job uh, really uh, kind of difficult because, um, fascinating enough, people really don't want help right now. You know, it's almost, it's in something that you would think, okay, you know, there'd be so many people trying to help, they're not. And it, it's, it's really... Uh, it's tough, you know, there's, I hate that phone call from parents, you know, so, um, but hopefully people start coming around and people start wanting help because it's, uh, it's tough out there right now. Interesting. So, yeah, I would have thought that, that business would be even booming because, because of all of the challenges with COVID, but you're saying people are pulling back and not... Right. I mean, so it's, it's crazy because, and that's just not us, you know, I've talked to, you know, our colleagues in the industry and that's pretty general across the board. I mean, it's, it's hard because when you have kids at home, like for me, for example, um, kids at home, it wouldn't be an ideal time for me to go get, go into treatment because I got kids that aren't going to school now. So who's going to like take care of them? Who's going to get them there? And so a lot of that has to do with, I think with the uncertainty of like the world, like, um, it's just, and then plus, you know, people are unemployment, you know, they're getting free money and then they're getting stimulus checks. And so it's like, is there a right time? And, you know, it's so, it, it's almost hopeless, right? Like with the, uh, the dangle, the carrot, like everything's going to go back to normal and then they pull it away. And unfortunately, I think with that, just nobody's 
willing to get healthy right now. Wow. When this is such a high-risk population, I mean, they're at risk of losing their lives and dying as overdose it happens all the time. And uh, that's got to be incredibly frustrating to not be able to, to get them the help they need. It is. It's, a, it's really kind of my, my downfall is sometimes I catch myself working harder than they are mm-hmm. and wanting them to have what I have more than they do. And, uh, yeah, that's, it's tough. You know, it's, it's seriously, it's like the worst part about my job. But then, you know, there's those, that other side where they get it and they get their families back and they get happiness and the hope and stuff. And then that just uh, outweighs the bad. It's an interesting comment that you made of that, that idea of balancing how hard you're working versus how hard they're working. How do you balance that? Well, that's the thing, too, is I do got to set, uh, you know, boundaries and stuff. I, I got to, when I first got in this industry, I was like just trying to save everybody. Right. And I would get so close to this pe- these people and, um, you know, and then having them pass away or overdose or, um, you know, an accident or suicide. And it, it, it was taking a toll on me to the point where I was like, you know what, is this what I want to do for a career? I mean, because that, you know, I as a person, right, I was thinking, well, what could have I said or what could I have I done differently? And uh that's a lot in a career. That's like not normal jobs, right? That's not, um, it, it became personal. And so unfortunately, I hate to say it, but after the, all these years, I'm starting to get somewhat callous to the idea of death, um, which is sad, right? Um, you know, my dad committed suicide in the 80s, and we were just talking about this today. In the 80s, that was so rare, right? You never heard about that. And nowadays, it's so common. And it's, it's just it's tough. And so you, it takes a certain kind of person to do like this kind of job. And if you've noticed all the guys that kind of do what I do at other facilities, we're all kind of the same, right? You, you got to help, but you got to know when to kind of set those boundaries and not get too attached and not try too hard, you know, for them that they got to do that on their own. Yeah. Cause there's a healthy balance there of, uh, and I like the way you said it. I don't, I mean, you can say you're callous. You kind of have to separate yourself yeah. from, you know, from people dying all the time, just like a doctor or someone, you know, in that kind of practice, cancer and all of that. But at the same time, you want it so badly for them because you've seen what it can do. You right. see how it changes lives. Um, but yeah, you can't work harder for them than they're willing to work for themselves. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's it. And so that, that's, and that's easier said than done in a balance when it's life and death and there's family and there's kids involved. And, you know, it's, it's tough. But you know what, like I said, those people that are getting their families back, getting their lives back, you know, it's just, we're in the trenches, I'm in the trenches with them fighting, and, you know, I keep, I keep doing it, even though, you know, I gotta take care of my own mental health, and my own self-care, um, you know, because you definitely, that's a whole another balancing act you have to do. Oh, well, that's crazy, and I think about what you just shared, is that, you know, your own dad committed suicide, so you carry that, you carry that memory with you. And so when someone in treatment commits suicide, how does that affect you? Well, for me, I always look at, you know, like how <clears throat> selfish, right? That, you know, all you had to do is get through another day. And, you know, as a kid, you, know, you always think, what could have I said? What could have I done? And it's almost the same in my profession, which is probably helps in what I do. Right, because I've done this, I've kind of navigated through this, I've processed the, through this stuff, and um, you know, it's just such a unique, unique thing. But yeah, that's that's our. I got. I like to think I have a big heart, and um, 
man, for the first while I thought, man, this isn't, I, I can't do this job. You know, I just can't do this, you know, because because I, I just would love everybody and, and I'm the guy that, you know, would bring, brings all the stray cats home, you know. And, <laughs> and so into this, you, you can't do that. So it's all about those boundaries. Well, and isn't that one of the one of the basic things that you learn in recovery is how to set healthy relationship boundaries? Yeah. And it feels like you're being cruel and unkind, but at the same time, you're being very clear, and right. the expectations are very clear. But it's hard. Yeah, it is. But I think I've done a lot better job of it, and and uh, you know, like I said, there's people are getting it, and people are getting their lives back, and it's it's like nothing greater on this earth to see. Well, I can't imagine a job that's probably more rewarding than what you do and harder than what you do. It's probably the hardest one in the industry. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. Um, you know, because a lot of times the other employees at facilities and stuff like that, um, they don't get so involved in their back life, right? Like with their families and their kids and, you know, going to their house and doing interventions and getting to see like them with their kids or, you know, with their wives or whatever. So, you know, that definitely makes it more difficult because you do get attached. Whether you, whether you like to or not, you, you do. Well, and, and the whole, you can't, you can't really be effective in an intervention if you don't make connection. Right. If, you, if they don't trust you, which is relationship, right? right. And so you can't, you can't do one and not the other. That's it right there because that, that's my <laughs> job is to to let them trust me, let, let me, you know, um, believe in them until they can believe in themselves. And w that's very hard to not get, you know, connected kind of like on a personal level where you're invested in their lives. And so it is hard. And this job is definitely not for everybody. <laughs> so, well, so, you know, a lot of people have never experienced the intervention. They don't really know what that is. Can you talk through some of what you do there? Yeah. So really it, that, that involves just family, um, family, friends, people are beneficial for them and, you know, their well-being, you know, getting them together. And before that person even comes into picture and talking to them and setting up a meeting that everybody can share, you know, how they changed and, you know, that they just want them to be happy. And you structure a plan together. So the moment they say, yeah, I'll do it, I mean, they go right from there. And then there's the part that, you know, if they aren't willing to go with all the, you know, love that's poured out to them, then there's that boundary talks where spouses have to use leverage. Like, you know, then we're not staying married. Or parents saying, well, we're not paying your bills. You know, there's those boundaries. And sometimes, yeah, it's, you know, they could say going in for the wrong reasons, right? And not going in on their own free will. But that's the stuff that saves their lives, too. You know what I mean? When they get in and then the light bulbs start going off in their heads when they're in treatment, right? And then they realize, holy crap, yep, I, this was out of control. And then they always, you know, will thank the family for setting those hard boundaries. But it's, it's a unique, unique thing and, and not a lot of people, um, I mean, it's crazy. I don't do a ton of them. You know, a lot of times I'll coach families through, you know, on kind of what to do and um, but a ton of people, since they came out the show, there's, a, you know, when they tried to do an intervention on me, when I was doing it, <laughs> I walked right through the room, saw it, and I was like, nope, I'm out, walked right past, you know, so, so, but it really is, what they do on the show is really how you do it, you know, you write letters and things like that, and, um, but like I said, it saves people's lives, 
you know, you'd like everybody to be willing and to do whatever it takes. And that, cause it, that's really what it takes in recovery is you have to be willing to do whatever it takes, you know, so. So how did you, um, how did you end up in recovery then if you weren't going to have nothing to do with that? Right. So it was kind of funny. It was, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I'd been on opiates for decades and, um, I turned to, got onto Xanax and, um, when I quit taking them, I just tried to quit, right? Me being a narcissist, like, oh, you know, I'll just stop them. <laughs> um, you know, grand mal seizure after grand mal seizure, ambulance ride after ambulance ride. I, I finally got to a point where, like, physically I could not stop on my own, right? And it was, like, legitimately going to kill me. And, you know, I got three little, you know, I had three little kids at the time. And the last thing I wanted to do is to kind of do to them what my dad did to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it was that selfish thing. Um, and so I actually, you know, got into detox and it was so, it was so bad. And the seizures were so bad that I couldn't legitimately walk. I couldn't write my name. Um, so I detoxed for nine days and, um, you know, Mark, the owner of Wasatch, Mark Richards, he, uh, came and saw me in detox and it was like, I felt it on like immediately a whole bunch of other places came and but I felt it on Mark immediately. And, and you know Mark. He's got oh. that. He's just got that he's spirit about him. He's a gold, man. Yeah. That guy loves everyone. Yeah. And so, and I just trust, I trusted him. And now <laughs> I kind of do what he did. And I hope that they'll trust me, you know. And, and uh, but that was it. I came to Wasatch. I did 90 days. Plan on only doing 30. I might have threatened I was going to leave a couple times. Um, <laughs> because, you know, then again, being that narcissist, right, that, that guy... I didn't want to go to the places they wanted me to go to, right? I didn't want to talk about my dad. You know, that was so long ago. That's not even part of my reason now, right? And so really kind of processing through all the crap, right? And, um, but it, what, what was amazing, we didn't even talk about like the drugs and alcohol that much. We're talking about why you did it in the first place and how we can get you happy again. And we've got this guy, he's, he's amazing. His name's Todd Sylvester. He actually has a podcast, and the guy's the most inspirational, loving man I've ever met. And, you know, kind of things that he taught me about how happiness can be a choice. And their belief system that we're broken is kind of BS. Um, really kind of changed everything. You know, so I legitimately had to start over at home after quitting, you know, giving up my career, selling everything, trucks and all the things I thought would make me happy, selling that all to keep my family um, afloat, you know, with my wife having to go back to work full time. And, um, you know, and then I just decided, okay, this is like a fresh start. Like, well, what do I want to do? And I thought, how cool is it that those guys get to help people, right? And and I I thought, well, I don't even, we don't even know where to get started. So I called Mark, and Mark said, yeah, you have to have, to have at least a year clean, you know. And it was funny because uh, Detox down in Utah County actually took a chance on me. And that's kind of where it went. And it, ever since then, it's just, I, I absolutely love it. Um, but then I hate it sometimes too. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the, that self-care and being able to kind of disconnect for a minute, you know, um, that's huge. And it took a while to learn how to do that, you know, that not getting so attached. Well, so. probably still ongoing. Yeah, always. I mean, and it, it's... The thing about addiction, it's, it's so unique, is nobody's immune to this. Mm-mm. I mean, we've seen everything from doctors to lawyers to dentists to church 
figures. And the thing is, is nobody's immune to this. You know, I didn't, nobody ever wakes up one day and says, you know what? I think I want to be an alcoholic, right? Like, I think I want that trial to be mine. Um, and so, you know, that was a, a conversation that was really um, kind of tough for me to have with my kids, you know, while I'm up here through Christmas and treatment, you know, and, and for the first while I just tell them, you know what, dad's just, dad's at a hospital getting better. That's the gist of it. Right. And, but kids are so intuitive, but they're also so resilient. Mm -hmm. And so then I, we had the, this open, honest conversation where I apologized and that this was never intentional. Right. And now I've got this relationship with my kids. It is unbelievable. You know, and now I've got a son who's 19 playing baseball out in Oregon that's, you know, having to deal with a lot of that, those decisions that I made wrong and, you know, me being able to be clear headed and sober enough to help him navigate through life problems. And so that's, that's pretty, it's pretty cool. That's way cool. I mean, because you wouldn't have that kind of relationship had you just kept, you know, kind of doing what you were doing. There was too much stuff underneath there. Yeah. And you said, you used the word narcissist, you're this narcissist. Those are the hardest ones in treatment. Yeah, right? How, did, how do you get past that part? That, that was, it was, it <clears throat> was, uh, God, it was crazy because for the first while, while I was in treatment, I would kind of listen to everybody else and I kind of would just tell them what they wanted to hear, right? I'm just doing my time, right? My whole reason is let me get this out of my body so I'm not dependent anymore on them to go out and I'll be good. Um, so, you know, that wall I set up and not wanting to go there, I had some therapists that were incredibly, like, good at pushing me where I didn't want to go. And I would push back. Um, but, you know, about day 60, you know, and I'm like, I'm out of here. And they're like, you know what, you haven't even surrendered yet. I'm like, what does that even mean, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and I had to hear something that was really hard to hear. He told me, he says, you got to admit you love drugs more than your kids. And for me, you know, my kids are my whole world. And I was like, okay, I'm going to hit this guy as hard as I can, right? And I just kind of, I walked out of the group and I was, I was heated. And I thought about it, you know, for, through the night. I thought about it. I'm like, I had like this breakdown moment. Like, holy crap. Something came in between what I love most. And that's just not right on any level. Like, you know what I mean? And, and for me, at that point forward, I was just... I just let go of the wheel. I mean, these guys have seen it, talked to everybody. I mean, they've done it all. And, you know, I dropped the caring what anybody else thought about me and just let go of the wheel. And from there on, I legitimately busted my butt and I worked for, you know, until I hit the 90-day mark. And, and it was, you know, and the crazy thing is it's not like when you leave that you're healed. There's no magic potion, right? So legitimately... I set up an aftercare plan in Utah County because I didn't want to come up to Salt Lake every day or every other day. And uh, I didn't, it wasn't a very good one, but the one thing it did do is that accountability, right? And be able to talk about, you know, my life, how it is now being out. And it's 100% like they said, I walked into my house from leaving here, walked straight down into the bathroom in my environment and reached above the door sill where I used to hide pills, just on memory, like just like, you go right back to your environment and it was like instant. And I caught myself with my arm above my head thinking, what in the hell? Like, like it was like that powerful. And that's where a lot of what um, 
my good friend Todd Sylvester taught me, right? That recognize the addictive voice, right? And and that these are choices and um, I mean, super, super powerful stuff that I work every day to stay clean. So, you know, I did 90 days of inpatient, 90 days of outpatient, but it didn't stop. You know, Wasatch has five sober softball teams. We have a sober golf league. We do alumni on some days. And, and so it's a full community and it's hard to detach from the world you once knew, right? Mm -hmm. Tell friends that, that aren't beneficial for your recovery that here's the deal and detaching from that and changing careers. And, um, you know, that's not easy, but what was good for me is, is it's such a smooth transition. The WASAT staff became like my sponsors, like my family. And it was like immediate to where we became like best friends. And it was, my kids would come up to softball and, and hang out with their kids. And I, it was just such, you know, it, it, it it was, it's amazing. It couldn't have happened any other way, but that's the thing I always tell people is you stay connected, you stay honest, you know what I mean? And you'll be fine. The hardest thing about addiction that I tell these guys is think about how exhausting it is to be an addict, right? <laughs> you do something usually illegal or whatever to get money to set up a meeting with somebody, which you're hoping you don't get arrested while saying a meeting hoping that when you use it, you don't get raped or mugged and then doing it over and over and over and over again like your life depends on it. If you can flip that switch to your recovery or your family, it'd be fine. Survival mode, I gotta have that so I'm not sick. You just flip that switch in your recovery and you'd be fine because it's like your life depending on it, right? Where people are robbing their own grandparents, right? All you have to do is flip that switch in your recovery, business, family, whatever, and you'll be successful. I mean, and it's just hard because a lot of people just don't see that there is hope they don't think that they can do it yeah well and it's interesting because you you say flip the switch but it's not that easy right? right because because that use of drugs and i always think about the maslow's hierarchy right yeah. it's the most important thing is food and clothing and shelter except if you have an addiction pattern and then it's then it's the drug right. and it becomes more important like you said than even those precious kids that you have right and so it's not so easy to flip that switch because it's actually rewired the brain. It's 100% right. It's survival mode. That is your number one priority. And that's, that's it. And that's where, you know, like a residential facility is so good, right? Because mm -hmm. for some people, as tough as you think you are, sometimes you need to be removed from your whole situation, from yourself almost, right? Because on the outside, oh, I get sick. Okay, I'm going to make a phone call. I can't do it anymore, right? And guys are weak, especially guys, right? There's a reason why women, you know, are the ones that can, you know, deliver children because we're, we're, we're not that tough. But, you know, it's, it, it's just such a, a tough thing, and that's where it's so good. You come to residential, it's almost like a, a detoxification period, right, where you can finally get into a routine where you're eating right, you're sleeping right, you're, you know, you're getting healthy again while gaining tools to really put into use when you get out, but in a controlled environment with a support group. Um, because this isn't easy. I mean, you've looked at statistics. I mean, they're not, they're not good. Right? Well, you just shared the story. You went home and your immediate reaction was, where's the drugs? Right. I'm going to go right back into that pattern. How did the drugs end up getting gone? Like, was that, well, they weren't there, right? We did, yeah. So, <laughs> so, well, they, they, so, yeah, so we did a little scavenger hunt in my house and we found so many, so, so much drugs that like I'd hit for myself, right? I mean, and it was, 
It was crazy. Even to like last year, throwing on some hunting clothes and there's a couple Xanax in my pocket and I'm like, dude, am I ever going to like quit finding these all over? <laughs> but, um, but that's the thing too. If you look at being an alcoholic, right, you can't avoid a gas station or a restaurant forever, right? Yeah. So you've just got to figure out how to deal with that. And, you know, like I said, rewire. Mm-hmm. You got to rewire, flip the switch and stay busy. One of the biggest things I think in recovery is... We cannot, we cannot uh, be bored and isolate. We can't. We need, we need one another, right? We need to stay out of our heads. I mean, I keep goals from sunup to sundown. I'm doing something. Still, I stay incredibly busy. That makes it a whole lot easier, right? Mm-hmm. And as you get time under your belt, it gets easier and easier and easier and easier. But then it's you're just in like a pattern, a routine where you're accomplishing so much, and it's it's pretty amazing because you think about addicts and alcoholics we just kind of let life pass us by right? we were just content we were just content with the way we were as we were slowly going downhill and you know our you know we could have very well died or we suicidal I don't know but I mean in the same thing that you don't care if you wake up or not I mean that's how serious it is and you know once you get dreams and your hopes and goals and that you get clean like you can do whatever. Some of the most successful people I know are in recovery. Mm-hmm. And they learned how to just kind of flip that switch. And their drive became something instead of drugs. They focused on something else. And it's it's amazing because those are the ones that are, the people are out there killing it, you know? Well, these, yeah. And I would say maybe maybe it's a generalization, but the people that I meet in recovery are some of the highest functioning and most amazing people on the face of the earth. It's like they have to have a handicap, right, to Seriously. to not kick the rest of us out of here. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it is crazy. It's almost like we get you get you got these brilliant people that just get kind of bored of life, right? Yeah. And, and it's it's amazing when you can refocus your energy into doing something good, you know, to service or to family or your recovery. You know, I'm pretty open with my recovery. You know, I I you know I it doesn't define me, mm-hmm. but I I'm kind of proud of where I've been I mean that's part of my story it's kind of part of who I am I mean before coming into Wasatch I was uh I, I like to speak in front of people you know what I mean I wouldn't I didn't wasn't the guy that's gonna just put myself out there but then it's like when I got out I thought hey my palms get a little sweaty it's almost kind of like a drug <laughs> you know, getting uncomfortable getting uncomfortable was like it was so it was so healthy, like for me mm. to grow, you know, and pushing yourself to go places you don't want to go, is where you you start to grow. Yeah, and so it's pretty cool. That's neat. I'm curious, um, you know, a year ago finding Xanax in your pocket while you're you know your hunting pocket. What what was that experience like for you? It was it's it's been with me being in this industry, you know, I see it all the time, right. So it, it was as simple as, you know, drop on the ground, step and turn. And my son, you know, it's, I've, I've, got, I've got the greatest support group on the planet. I mean, between, you know, my coworkers that happen to be some of my dearest friends mm-hmm. and a family that's fully involved in my recovery, um, it's pretty easy not to be tempted anymore. You know what I mean? That's kind of dissipated. Uh, but every once in a while, you know, it, it, you, you still think about it, right? I mean, that doesn't go away for good, but it's, um, you know, it was pretty cool. So I went and got my five-year chip before the COVID days last year. Um, 
and we did it at we have an alumni down at our outpatient building and some of the best meetings ever and you know very hope and recovery topics driven and I my my kids said dad we want to go and I'd always been like okay there's no way I could bring my kids there because they got they got people chanting and it's, <laughs> they're gonna be like what the heck um, but what was amazing is we go to this meeting and it's full of all these people that I've either helped get into treatment or that have got years of sobriety that are in there. Now they're helping other people. And I've got my three kids there and it was a powerful meeting. I mean, it was just to see how much, how proud they were of me and that they've been in this journey with me because it is a family thing, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it's, it was the most amazing meeting and to have like all the staff and people that were there that helped me through the process was, man, it was awesome. Well, it makes me wonder, you know, I was talking to somebody else in recovery earlier today and we were talking about the value of family. What role does family play? And, you know, and so often in, in treatment centers, family isn't necessarily that engaged. What, what, what's your perspective on that? Well, it's it's also hard to because um, it's such a lot to deal with just yourself, right? You got to figure your stuff out before we start incorporating families, right? I mean, for me, if I would have tried to do anything family related with the first thirty days, I mean, I really don't remember a whole lot of it. I was so foggy and still detoxing, you know, I was sick. Um, but incorporating the family's shoes because they need to. They need to understand triggers or here's the new plan, okay? And this is how it works. And this is your best chances for success and things like that. So we do like a family education night on Tuesdays. Um, now that COVID's over, we get to start doing them again. And we do, we bring people in to do um, like family sessions with their therapist because that's so huge. And you know what's it's crazy is we're in here, you know, we come here and we're getting healthy, right? The families are left with all the aftermath and they need their, they need to get help too, right? That's a lot. I mean, to be a loved one, think I wasn't enough to keep him from doing this or mm-hmm. whatever, and all the hell that you bring with it. So them getting help, their own individual help is so huge too. Um, but really, it, it's got to be that open and honest, you know, connection with everybody around you. I mean, it's a, it's a family thing. Well, and, and there's this idea like what you said, right? You're in treatment. You're giving it all you've got. You're finally flipping that switch and starting to shift and, and make different choices and see how that's going to work in your life. And then you leave here, and your family dynamic was one, but what about the guy who goes back into his family of origin, his parents and his siblings, and they didn't, they didn't get any help, and they expect him to behave the same way as he did when he left? And they're still, you know, expecting him to be the screw up uh, mm-hmm. in quotations, right? And he's not. I mean, how does that, does, what do you see happening there? It's so hard because all the dynamics are so different. Um, and that's where a lot of the stuff, for example, um, somebody that I know really well comes to the program. Both his parents are addicts, right? And for him, it was... Time to start adulting, starting your own story. And if they come around, they come around, right? You can't save. You can't save them. And that was a completely different dynamic, but he started his own life. And now he's got years clean. Now they see that and they kind of want what he has. So now they're actually getting help. But families, it's so hard because you can't force anybody, right? And you can encourage, 
right, and hope they do it. And sometimes places like Al-Anon, you know, if, if they're willing to go, mm-hmm. or, you know, some of these groups to, to realize that, hey, you're not the only one going through this. This helped me. This could help you. And, um, you know, we do... We do a lot. We do a lot. We try to educate as much as we can, but it's so hard to because still normies, right? People that I've never mm-hmm. used, they have, they just don't understand fully like what's going on, and sometimes even when you explain it to them, they still don't get it. Yeah, it's true. Right. Like right, because we don't know what we don't know, and yeah. they have no frame of reference. So, um, so when is um, when is the journey of recovery over? When I'm dead. I mean, I'm still constantly learning. I'm still constantly growing. Um, I mean, it, it's it's never over. I mean, this it is something that I like to think that I, I won't ever have to deal with it again, right? But then again, you never want to say never, yeah. right? I mean, I've got a shoulder surgery I need to do. I put it off for years because I'm, I'm that scared of opiates, I, you know? And um, I think I could do it now, right? And I could probably try to do it without, but I'm also... Not very tough, <laughs> but but yeah, it's never over. I'm always constantly growing. Each time I talk to people, and I hear something that's working for them, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Or you know, somebody that's, you know, it's there's so many inspiring people mm. in recovery. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's seriously like I'm always learning, and every day is something different. In this field, every day is never the same. And there's some things that I, I, I go home and I like shake my head like, did that just just happen, right? And so to be able to adapt and really kind of learn and grow into this because the world is evolving. Things are getting worse, you know, and to be able to keep my recovery stay, staying stronger and growing because I think that's what's gonna, it's gonna, what it's going to take to help other people, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, in your family, your, your outside of your immediate family, your recovery family is who you work with. Yeah. And so they're watching you, right? And yeah, if yeah. you start messing up, they're calling you out. Decker, what's going on, oh, man? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, and, and that, it, that helps too, you know? Do you think, and this is an interesting question, um, you know, as a therapist, um, as, a, as a mental health counselor, um, you know, I see lots of people that deal with, with addiction and mental health issues, but I also see me being on my own recovery journey, right? Sure. I don't come unscathed from, from life any more than anybody else. Do you think, um, you know, and I look back on my stuff and, and my story and I think, wow. I am so grateful for those experiences because how, how would I have ever gotten here, you know? Um, do you think recovery's for everyone? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in, in this world, nobody doesn't have an issue. I don't care who you are. There's, you can actually incorporate a lot of what you learn in substance abuse and mental health like programs, incorporate in your own life. Like I, you know, my wife used to say, I wish I could just go there, mm-hmm. you know, for 30 days and focus on myself and learn and grow. I mean, Wasatch Recovery is the greatest university on the planet. It really is. I mean, put the stuff aside. We're trying to teach people how to live better, more productive, happy lives. Who doesn't need that? Right. You know? I couldn't agree more. So, as you, other than your own, you know, recovery story and, and the successes you experienced there, is there a story that sticks out in your mind of, you know, someone that you've helped through recovery? Oh, there's, there's quite, there's quite a few, um, there's quite a few, 
I'm trying to think of one. And put me on the spot now. I really, there's probably not just one. I help. I've talked to so many people. Um, probably a, a family member that legitimately, mm -hmm. um, that I actually didn't know, like way down the line. But I knew, you know, I knew his, fo or his grandparents and the fact that this kid didn't stand a chance. Like, didn't stand a chance. It had shown in his family that that's just what it is. In and out of prison, in and out of jail, you know, and homelessness was real. And it was crazy to, you know, Mark with Wasatch. I said, hey, I want to help this kid, right? This is, I know his, his grandparents, I'm related to him. And Mark was kind of all in on it. And he said, you can stay here as long as you want. And this kid, and the kid, he, he took him up on it. He did something like 90 days of residential and did 18 months in our transitional living and our um, outpatient. The guy never had, a, never had a driver's license, never had a job. He got a driver's license, then bought a car, worked two jobs. You know, like this transformation where this kid now has a life. I mean, instead of him dying when he was 30, this guy is doing amazing things. And he's actually, you know, doing some church stuff now where that wasn't even possible back then either. And, wow. and so it, it's, that's probably... The one I'm like, I saw him at our alumni meeting. I'm like, it's just awesome. Oh. It's just freaking awesome. Well, when when it's blood, I don't know. There's something about someone that's just really related to you. It's not that you don't love everybody else the same, but yeah. there's just something more, that deeper connection yeah. that makes it so much more worthwhile. It was awesome. Well, and you changed generations. You just changed a generational pattern. Right. Which is, I mean, you didn't, but he did and recovery did. Yeah, and that's it. That's what I think. Even though through all this dark stuff and death and stuff, it's one person. Mm -hmm. You know, it, and I think, like we said, that doesn't have to do just with me, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in recovery or not, which most, you know, everybody's kind of in recovery from something. But we could all change one person's life, right? I mean, seriously, in a dark day like we're living, it's simple things. It's that service, that, that giving them just hope. And legitimately, generations. Yeah. Well, seeing them, just seeing them, right? That's just, it. just noticing that they exist and wherever it is, because it's crazy how how difficult people are struggling with their mental health right now. It's, yeah. It's bad. So bad. And so, if you if you had a piece of advice to offer our listeners, um, and I, I know that's kind of a big question, mm -hmm. what would be your piece of advice that you would offer? Probably, probably never give up and always strive to be better. I mean, I think, you know, just real, I mean, when somebody's been through our program and they struggle and they do not want to call me, right? That's like huge for me because they trust me enough and they're not done fighting, right? They haven't gave up. And that's inspiring for me, right? I wouldn't want to make that phone call to me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And because it's, you have to humble yourself and that they just don't stop fighting. And I, and I think in a world where we are, you just can always be a better version of yourself and help somebody. So somebody that needs help, somebody that's, um, you know, that's really in a tough spot, uh, how do they get a hold of you? How, who do they contact? They can just call my direct cell phone number. It's 801-318-4240. And that's legitimately my direct cell phone number. So and you give that to everyone? Everybody. Because you pick up the phone. Yeah, last night, 3.30 in the morning, took a call. So, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Hey Ryan, thanks for your time today. I sure appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy, but I love hearing your story and, and just your enthusiasm. So thank you. Thank you.